This week's Pharmacy Magazine Talking Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by Aronix, Sildenafil 50mg from Dr. Reddy's. Hello everyone, welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast where we look back at what's been happening in pharmacy over the last week or so. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters. Arthur Walsh is away. It's been a busy news week with the announcement finally about pharmacists' COVID costs in England, COVID booster jabs due to start in September, and proposals to align free prescriptions to the state pension age. All, some more indeed, none of which may crop up in good week, bad week. So, just a good week or a bad week this week, everyone. Rob, let's go to you first. A good week or a bad week, and for whom? Uh, Morning, Richard. Um, I'm going to go for a bad week for people who say, won't it be great when we get back to normal? Uh, So, there's a story this week about... um, the numbers of people who may have had long COVID and the latest findings from the REACT2 study show that over a third of people who had COVID-19 reported symptoms lasting at least 12 weeks and they're now suggesting that up to 2 million people may have had long COVID. Um, now this is one of the really big the big studies, uh, 5.8% of the whole study population, 2% of people reporting severe symptoms. Um, and it, uh, the study also shows that the prevalence of long COVID increases with age and is higher among women. And I think this is an important thing for, for three reasons. Um, first of all, basically, the, the idea that we get back to normal as we were um, at the beginning of 2020 is, is one for the birds. Um, I think everybody kind of realises that we have to, whether you're, uh, whether you're you know, following the whole kind of we've got to learn to live with it or not. Um, this uh, this uh, virus is going to be here for a long time, but the, more importantly, the effects of it are going to be here for a long time. Uh, and as this study shows, we just don't know how long those effects are going to persist. So, item one, um, this is for the, this generally is for a long time. Second point is that I think it shows that as time goes by, we are still learning a lot about um, COVID nineteen. And new data is being added all the time. And so the idea that we know everything there is to know about it is also obviously uh, something that is not true. Uh, and I'm sure we will continue to follow this study and others as they identify the long term effects of, of, of the pandemic. Um, and then the third the third reason is, I think, that wherever we get to the idea of living with the virus actually in and of itself has a continuing potential long-term danger. And so um, those those three things for me suggest that not only is this going to be an issue that the country as a whole is going to be facing for a very, very long time, but we're going to be continuing to to report on it and write about it and follow it in the, in the media. So um, an interesting summary, I think, of where we've got to at this point out this week yeah um really interesting rob we did a uh we did a a cpd module actually in the um what is it the june issue 
uh, of pharmacy magazine on long COVID. And I think one of the things that, and it was really interesting, really well-written piece from Professor Alison Blenkinsop. And I think one of the the things that came out of it is that we're, we're going to probably have to update it already in, in, in you know, a month or two's time because um, the information is, is changing all the time about about how to deal with it. Um, and I, you make a really good point, Rob. Actually, on, you know, ongoing symptoms after acute COVID nineteen infection. Um, it, it's they're still get a, it's still a relatively new and emerging condition. And although like, the the effects are increasingly being recognised, we still don't fully understand it. Um, and you know, you throw into that um, evidence now of you know growing evidence of long COVID in children and. You know, a lot of misunderstanding and even scepticism um, about it and um, from, you know, the medical profession elements of it and, and employers even. Um, it's a big problem and it's uh, the idea that that it's going to go away or we, we're going to move on from COVID, as you say, Rob, is for the birds. And, and this is really important, I think, for pharmacists because they need to keep abreast of this because uh, a lot of their... A lot of their patients that they go to be seeing in, in the coming months and, and unfortunately for longer are going to be suffering from this condition. So, yeah, really, really interesting and, and one that pharmacists need to to keep abreast of. Um, OK, uh, let's move on then. Helena, shall we go to you? Who's had a good week or a bad week and uh, and, and for whom? Yeah, thanks, Richard. Um, so my good week is for pharmacy technicians. Um, so we're recording this on the 2nd of July. And yesterday, the 1st of July, marked the 10 year anniversary of professional registration for pharmacy technicians. Um, last night, the Association of Pharmacy Technicians UK, APT UK, um, held a celebratory event, um, unfortunately on Zoom rather than in person. Um, but it was a really nice event and a great opportunity to take time out to listen and reflect on how far the profession has evolved um, and what registration means to pharmacy technicians, um, as well as pre-registration pharmacy technicians and also pharmacy leaders from across the UK. Um, so we heard from APT UK President Liz Fiddler, um, from Duncan Rudkin and the Chief Pharmaceutical Officers as well. Um, Duncan Rudkin said that he and the CPOs have emailed every pharmacy technician in the UK to thank them for their contribution um, during the pandemic and over the last 10 years. Um, and while an email is lovely, I can think of some other things that would thank them for their contribution in a better way, um, potentially allowing them to carry out PGDs, for example. Um, but attention turned to the UK in Apt UK. So we then heard from pharmacy technicians from all over the home nations um, and their views on um, their professional registration. Um, I thought it was particularly interesting to hear from um, a pharmacy technician called Warren Francis in Northern Ireland, um, who pointed out that registration doesn't actually exist for them. Um, but he sees the registration of pharmacy technicians in the rest of the UK as a learning opportunity. Um, and when we heard from Cathy Harrison, the CPO for Northern Ireland, she suggested in her speech that this is something that's in the pipeline for Northern Irish pharmacy technicians. So that's really exciting um, potential development in the future. Um, and then we heard from current pre-registration pharmacy technicians and pharmacy technicians about their um, personal experiences um, and their kind of achievements over the last 10 years. 
Um, we as a company um, are obviously very community pharmacy focused, so it was interesting to hear from other sectors. Um, but it struck me that quite a few of the people that spoke started in community um, and then they moved on to um, kind of hospital. Uh, there was one from a mental health hospital, um, research and academia, aseptics um, and other areas. And for me, I think that's where a lot of the potential for, for the next 10 years um, lies, kind of keeping pharmacy technicians in the community after registration and building on or a kind of showcasing their, their skills, um, making it clearer that there's an opportunity to kind of progress and expand their skill set. Um, and I think it's such a shame that so much effort goes into to training in the community um, and then lots leave the sector. Um, and yeah, there's a kind of um, uh, not a waste as such, but you're kind of, yeah, putting in all that effort to then not have um, that really highly skilled workforce uh, staying around. Um, and I think part of that opportunity would be through the PGDs that I mentioned earlier. Um, and that's what quite a few people highlighted um, in the event last night. So Liz Fiddler and um, the Vice President Ellen um, mentioned as well. Um, and the the pandemic has kind of um, pushed open a few of those doors that were were kind of ajar before and um, yeah hopefully we'll see um, the the PGDs for things like um, vaccinations and medicines optimization in care homes through community pharmacy and that kind of thing becoming um, a real opportunity for community pharmacy technicians. Um, and I think the other thing that was really positive was um, Keith Ridge mentioned that there will be access to more post-registration training soon. Um, and he commented that there's an exciting feature for pharmacy technicians in, in kind of clinical roles and caring for patients. So it'll be really interesting to see um, what comes of that. Yes, yeah, so 10 years of professional registration for pharmacy technicians. I mean, it was a, a significant anniversary and obviously a, a significant development for pharmacy technicians uh, and for pharmacy more generally of course the one thing you said there Helen I think that's that's slightly concerning is that um, technicians who pharmacy technicians who register um, then leave the sector and work for, for, for secondary care and I guess that kind of reflects some of the discussions we've been having about um, professional satisfaction and career satisfaction for pharmacists too um, and clearly we need to, to put in place or there needs to be a structure within community pharmacy that makes it professionally rewarding and that the opportunities are there to, to hang on to these, you know, these motivated and talented professionals, whether they're pharmacy technicians or pharmacists. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's a great achievement um, and a very positive development that we've reached 10 years of professional regulation for pharmacy technicians, but it, I think it also highlights some some wider kind of structural problems within the sector as well um, that we need to address, that we need to address. Okay, that was good. Thanks, Helena. Um, Neil, let's go to you then. Uh, good week or a bad week and for whom? Well, I've gone for uh, a good week for Jeremy Meader, uh, the ma managing director of Newmark. Um Well, I mean, this is what Jeremy Meader basically said uh, uh, this week. It's, it's criticised the government over the length of time it took to agree the terms on, on the reimbursement of COVID costs for pharmacies in England, and rightly so. Um, and he described the delay as a disgrace. Um, he certainly didn't pull any punches, um, and I don't think any of us would argue with that. Um, 
he did praise the PSNC. He congratulated the PSNC for its efforts. And yes, uh, what more can the PSNC do than what they've done? Uh, we, uh, slightly hamstrung in what they can do. We know that from their negotiations. But um, Jeremy Mead has kind of torn into, torn into the government. Um, and he's rightly asked why Scotland and Wales agreed a, a deal on the COVID costs much quicker than England did. Um, and this is what he said. He said that going forward, lessons need to be learned. Uh, as the delay in reimbursing pharmacies was, a, frankly, a disgrace. Um, Scotland and Wales agreed the reimbursement terms quickly, so why is it taking England so long when so many pharmacies are facing financial distress? And that's absolutely right. Um, and I think what that's that's not the reason why I've actually chosen him as my good week, uh, just because he's called the government a disgrace. Uh, the reason I've chosen him for my, my good week is because he's actually hit on something really important here, um, uh, which I haven't heard any other pharmacy, um, leading pharmacy personality, sort of mention it's a quite an obvious thing but he's 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 struck on it pretty quickly and that was that um you know pharmacies can't be cannot afford to be left in the dark over funding uh moving forward in the way that they were left in the dark over the covid costs um if pharmacies are going to play a role moving forward with the covid booster jabs or, or uh, obviously flu in, in, in going hand in hand with that uh, um Perhaps you've mentioned long COVID as well, the management of long COVID, if that becomes something that pharmacies get commissioned to do, I don't know, moving forward. Any services, in fact. You know, pharmacies can't afford to be left waiting for, for funding or remuneration and, and, and being kept in limbo. It's just not right. It's not fair. Um, and this is why I think that he sits on this uh, in terms of the COVID costs. You know, it, it is a concern that if pharmacists have had to wait so long and be kept in the dark over the over something, it's very important, you know, the COVID costs. Um you know, the concern would be that, you know, what's to stop that happening again with with, with, with these new services coming through, COVID-related services in, in the coming months and, and maybe years. So um, it's a really important point he made, um, needs to be addressed, needs to be put to the government. Um, no more months of protracted negotiations and finance, financial uncertainty for contractors. So it's, yeah, it's, it's so, really that simple, Richard. Really. That, well, the deal reached at last. Let's hope contractors we need to avoid this have scenario, their paperwork in order. Uh, um, yeah, well done to Simon Dukes and, and, and PSNC for that. Uh, but yeah, as you, you say, Neil, still quite a bit of disquiet about, um, especially over the situation regarding advanced payments. Um, Rob, you want to come in on? Yeah, that. when when Neil said uh, Jeremy Meir, I was expecting to talk about our um, our very good webcast on uh, Tuesday night, Richard. Uh, and so he took me slightly by surprise there. So I, do you know, it was a very good. But it, webcast. But it is a great lead lead in, really, opportunity just to say that uh, I know that Tuesday Tuesday evening at seven pm was not uh, a brilliant time for lots of people, and we did have a really interesting conversation, including Jeremy. Uh, about the um, the sort of post COVID reset in Northern Ireland, and I think um, it's nice of Neil to team me up just to give that a little bit of a plug because we had an, a, a really illuminating discussion about several aspects of community pharmacy in Northern Ireland that I hadn't considered before. And I just highlight one thing: um, we were very fortunate to have Gerard Green, the Chief Executive Officer of um, Community Pharmacy Northern Ireland, with us, and uh, uh, Gerard. Had, um, quite a lot to say about lots of things but one thing I'll just highlight now um, is that his perspective on on the supply chain chain challenges in Northern Ireland and the operation of the protocol um, certainly had me thinking so if you've got a spare few minutes and you'd like to catch up with what's going on in another part of the UK then uh, that's a I'd say that's a great listen available on demand uh, on the pharmacy magazine and p3 magazine uh, websites right now Richard Great plug, Rob. But yeah, it was really, uh, I would agree with that fascinating discussion about the 
the situation in, in Northern Ireland, wasn't it? Um, and it's much more optimistic, actually, talking of Northern Ireland, just quickly, than, than the situation was 18 months ago, wasn't it, Rob? I mean, there's uh, there's definitely a little bit of momentum there post-COVID. Um, the sector in Northern Ireland, like like everywhere else, did really well with COVID, and they really rose to the challenge, and they, they got stuck into the vaccinations. And, yeah, just 18 months ago, there was talk of industrial action, and now there's uh, there seems to be a... A real route forward. So it was fascinating um, discussion with Gerard and, uh, and our panelists over in Northern Ireland. So yeah, do, do check out that webcast on the, the P3 Pharmacy uh, website. So um, me then to to wrap up. Um, no, Rob mentioned last week on the pod, I was away on holiday in Northumberland, having my eyes tested. Um, lovely part of the world i really enjoyed listening to the pod by the way on the long the long drive back uh, all that time on the m1 does get you thinking and there's nothing like some time out of the pharmacy bubble is there to get some perspective and clarity uh, on the big issues of the of the day and two things struck me listening to you guys on the pod um the first one is why is it that pharmacy organizations get so giddy with excitement to have government ministers address their events and conferences when they, they never say anything of significance or substance for grassroots pharmacists, um, other than sound bites, in case their constituents are listening, or warm words or meaningless platitudes. Now, Matt Hancock's performance at the Sigma webinar while I was away, and of course the now disgraced ex-Secretary of State, of course, uh, was a case in point. But it could have been anyone from the Ministerial Health Team or any Secretary of State for the last 10 or 20 years at a pharmacy event. And it just struck me that having these politicians at your events effectively saying nothing, as you pointed out, Neil, and then basking in the reflected glory of having them there is just not enough anymore. Now, did someone actually say last week that Hancock was a, a friend of pharmacy at the Sigma event? A friend of pharmacy? Really? Is that what Sigma customers or NPA members really think? I mean, when I did manage to catch up with that webinar, so much soft soap was thrown at Hancock at that event. I mean, oh, soft soap, probably not the <laughs> probably not the best phrase to use. I don't want to give that hypocritical sleazebag any ideas. Um, but anyway, it was all faintly nauseating. And it, why not? And surely it would be better to get someone with something interesting or relevant to say at these events from I don't know top of my head, the NHS Confederation or, or a local government association or a director of public health uh, or a senior executive of one of the nascent integrated care systems or, or one of the more progressive LPC chief officers. I don't know, someone who can add real value and provide information and guidance that will help a pharmacist in their business or practice. And I mean, really help. Stop toadying to government ministers. It's a waste of time. Grow a pair, friend of pharmacy, indeed. And the other thing was, and I was probably but past Chesterfield at this point, um, well, was it me or was the profession's response to that awful Guido Fawkes blog about Labour MP and pharmacist Teo Owatemi completely over the top? I mean, yes, the comments were unpleasant and disrespectful and not remotely funny, rather pathetic and lame, to be honest. And the last thing you want to do is to trigger abusive trolling. But it... It was almost as if the various pharmacy bodies were, were, were competing with themselves over who could be the most outraged. You don't see the doctor bodies doing that. Miss Owatemi had the best response, which was to say nothing at all. It didn't dignify the blog with the response. It said a lot to me 
about pharmacy's lack of confidence in itself and its place in the world, a profession that's too sensitive and easily bruised to have got so worked up over something like that. Treat it with the contempt it deserves, turn the other cheek uh, and move on. And I, and I, I had a third burst of uh, laser-like clarity, but I've, I've forgotten I've forgotten what that was. So um, it's probably, I better stop ranting right now. I don't know, Richard, I think you should go on holiday more often. Um, yeah, there's an interesting thought there. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, it occurs to me that we often get the, the in, th- in theory, the decision makers along. And I was struck when you were talking, um, I was reminded of a, going to the American Pharmacists Association conference many years ago. It's a massive event, as, um, as listeners can imagine. And they didn't have... Um, presentations from you know government ministers or the equivalent of talking about the future of health and care but what they did have was on a very regular basis they had politicians come along and talk to professionals about how to engage with politicians so how actually to achieve real influence and so you know what happens in the political process how decisions are uh, are taken um, how you approach politicians and talk about the things that matter to you and I think occasionally that might be um, of more interest and more relevance to the profession than uh, getting a a secretary of state who is going to come out and say the sort of things that that we expect them to say and and you know can't answer questions because they're they're not allowed to Um, as some people will know I was a civil servant back in the day uh, back in the 90s and we used to spend quite a lot of time as a small team, talking to pharmacists who are coming in to speak to ministers and trying to give them some pointers as to how to get the most out of, you know, what could be as, as short as a, a 10 or 15 minute conversation. And, um, you know, keep it simple was, was the basic sort of mantra, you know, have two or three points and, and make those points and then, you know, get out of there and give the minister some time to, to have a think about what you've said. Um, but some of the uh, pharmacy groups who came in took our advice and some didn't and I you know you know you've lost your audience when the Minister of State for Health is in a meeting with an organ- pharmacy organisation and he's actually examining the inside of one of his shoes that's the point at which you know that really the audience has gone and the point is not being made. <laughs> Well, that's it for uh, another week. My thanks to Rob, Helena and Neil. The Talking Pharmacy podcast is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. And uh, while we've been recording this very pod and it's on Friday morning, news has come in that one of our favourite pharmacists, friends of the pod, Ade Williams and Jess down in Bedminster, have had their second child, a baby girl. So congratulations from all of us. To them. Great news. We hope to have Janice Perkins, the former pharmacy superintendent of Well, on the pod next week, talking about patient safety. So until then, thanks very much for listening. <laughs>